Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Featuring our podcast, One More Thing. We're all watching the tube more than normal these days. Who are the best characters ever? It's One More Thing. Well, not ever. This century, right? Right, right. Because otherwise Sam Malone would just run away with it. I'm uh, I'm always... Or Woody. uh, I'm always really um, influenced by what's current, so Joe Exotic is my favorite TV character of all time. (laughs) Ah, Reality show characters not eligible. These have to be characters of fiction. Right. Which Joe Exotic might be. I don't know. I haven't seen it. You right. couldn't, as David Spade was talking about on his show the other night, you can't, like, add anything to this. You can't make it up. You can't. It's too much. If it were fiction, it would be, okay, it's just a little, you're like, you're running. If it was fiction, it'd be like, this is a little much. Yeah, you're throwing too many things to the wall. You can't have the meth and the cats and the sex and the singing and the drugs and the gums. and, and the... Yeah, you just can't have... The thruples and the uh, mullets and the rest and the of it. toothlessness. Thruple, mu- <laughs> thruple mullets. 
You can't have everything. It's just yeah. too, you know, narrow down your focus. But that's why it makes it so good. It's a real life thing. Every time they introduce one of these things, you're like, what the hell? I realize Netflix <laughs> doesn't have commercials, but if it did, man, if the uh, Association of Cosmetic Dentistry didn't sponsor the thing, are you missing a tooth? <laughs> Call today. Are you missing like 30 teeth? Call yesterday. <laughs> Anyway, Sean, what do you have for us? Uh, so uh, one of my favorite websites, theringer.com, uh, put out the, a, a 64 uh, character bracket a la March Madness. This is the it, it is the season for March Madness brackets. Uh, and they are doing the best television characters of the past century. And I figured we'd just go through kind of the first round and maybe throw a couple votes out. And then uh, if we get bored, we, we just stop. I uh, I am uh, I am at a... We could do one bracket a day. I'm, I mean, like one region a day. I'm at know. a disadvantage that I haven't watched any TV in the last 10 years. Oh, there's that. Yeah. yeah. Well, some so, might say that puts you in a perfect position. You're not biased by... Uh, no, the, I'm not. You, by you, having seen any of these. Yes, yes. Excellent. <laughs> Let's begin. Uh, so we'll start out uh, in no particular order. A five-seed Don Draper from Mad Men. And mm. then we got a 12-seed Dexter Morgan from Dexter. Dexter oh, the... Oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah this, it's starting what? off heated. A five versus twelve. Yeah, yeah, there you go. The classic matchup, often an upset. Great Scott, I just, I'm already stymied. Well, I uh, I loved Dexter. I liked Mad Men. Uh, Mad Men was a little too soap opery for me, but I don't know. Everybody else seemed to like it. I don't know. I vote Dexter, but go with it. What's the next matchup? Uh, next matchup, we got uh, an eight seed Jack Bauer of twenty four versus oh. the nine seed Liz Lemon of thirty Rock. Now, oh, this, this is really good. This is tough. As soon as you said Jack Bauer, I thought, well, nobody's going to beat Jack Bauer. I think I still take Jack Bauer, but just barely. Liz Lemon is one of the great TV characters ever. She's hilarious. She was often the straight man. Yes. Although that's that's as skilled as the... uh, Absolutely. Abbott and Costello uh, split their money 60-40 with the 60 going to the straight guy. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They I were harder go to with find Liz back Lemon, in the day. Actually, you go with Liz Lemon over yeah, Jack. I think Bar? so, just barely though. Mm. I'm afraid to vote against Jack Bauer. What if he hears about that? Well, you're going to shoot you in the knee. Shove a sock down my throat. Exactly. Make you beg to pull it back out. Uh, All right. What next? This, this, is, this is brutal so far. Uh, oh, we got uh, Elizabeth Jennings from the Americans <gasps> and Vic Mackey of the Shield. Oh wow! Another brutal. Like they are doing a really I. Like like Jack had with the last one. When I hear the first name, I'm like, well, that's who I'm voting for. Yeah. And then I hear the second name, I'm like, oh, wait. Tough-ass, dirty cop, good, conflicted American mom Russian agent with a perfect butt. i got to go with <laughs> Carrie Russell I think, on that one. I think you're right. I confirm. Yeah, yeah she wins by a cheek. <laughs> All right, here we got the, our first uh, number one seed. We got Tony Soprano of The Sopranos. And then we have uh, Rick Sanchez of the animated show Rick and Morty. Well, See, I, haven't, I haven't seen that. It's hard for me to imagine anything beating Tony Soprano. Yeah, right. Tony I, Soprano. Hate, I hate to do you dirty, Sanchez, but uh, I'm going with Tony <laughs> oh, Soprano. There's uh, no need for I, that. I agree. I think Tony See Soprano. What you did there. <laughs> Tony Soprano's the choice there, but Rick and Morty is great. It's a it's a really fun, oh, yeah. uh, yep, fun show. Yep. That was beneath you. What? Huh? What was? Little is. Uh, um, all right. Uh, we got Leslie Nope of Parks and Recreation. Oh, mm. yeah. Okay. And then Boyd Crowder of Justified. And on, if you guys mm. haven't watched Justified, I'd recommend that on uh, mm. on some of your quarantine watching. Not that's a second it. of it. That's, you got to take control here, Sean. Who do you go with? Or 
Anybody else wants to weigh in? Uh, justified. Uh, yeah, Boyd Crowder of Justified. I love Leslie Note. Parks and Rec is hilarious, but she's I, I, I knock her for not being the best character on that show. That, of course, is Ron Swanson. What's the right. elevator pitch on uh, Justified? It's a... Uh, it's, it's a Western told through kind of modern... Uh, uh, it's a modern day Western, but it's a guy who works for the sheriff's department, goes to small towns, and, okay. and it's very, very tropey and those sort of things. But it's it's a great fun show about okay. cops and robbers, sort of thing. Fair enough. Um, let's see, we got uh, uh, six seed Eric Taylor of Friday Night Lights and uh, eleven Alfred, aka Paperboy Miles of the show Atlanta. Um, I love oh. Atlanta. The show Paperboy is great. Eric Taylor. Uh, Friday Night Lights, very good show. Fine character. Yeah, fine Solid. character. But yeah. Paperboy is, uh, I, I got to go with Paperboy there. All right, you, your expertise will be bowed to here. Um, let's see, the next one we got, uh, oh, a three-seed Selena Meyer of Veep. Oh, against, hello. Uh, oh, this is a battle of leadership. 14-seed Queen Elizabeth of the Crown. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen a minute of that. Nah, Veep takes this one easily. That's, oh, yeah, that's such please. a good character. Please. Um, Hilariously uh, obscene. Jack, have you had much time to no. log with Veep? She is the most obscene female character in the history of television. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's a fair case. I mean, she, she's more she's more like anatomy specific and scatological than I would dream of being. Really? Oh, she's ho- just a horror. Uh, next matchup, we had two seed Walter White of Breaking Bad fame, oh. uh, and uh, fifteen Olivia Pope of Scandal. Scandal, fine show, yeah. not really for please. me, but, but yeah. come on, Walter White. And who's the one seed in that bracket? Tony Soprano? Uh, I, I believe so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's oh, Matt, that's, How's that's, Walter White a two seed? Yeah. We'll have to talk to the... Freaking favoritism. To the, to the committee who put this together. Yeah. Um, let's see, we got uh, Kendall Roy, a six seed of the, from the show Succession. Don't know. Along it. with uh, BoJack Horseman of the show <laughs> BoJack Horseman. <sighs> Succession's the one where uh, Kiefer Sutherland ends up president, isn't it? Is that what that no, is? That's no, 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 no. Designated Succession. Yeah, yeah, designated Succession yeah. is the... Corporate family soap opera drama. Yeah, think of if Rupert Murdoch also owned Disney. Oh, yeah, I saw and then the, yeah, that. The, that uh, great show, love it. One of my favorites that's currently ongoing. But mm-hmm. the depressed horse of BoJack Horseman, in many ways, is the voice of a generation. I, I tell you what, I was watching BoJack as I recovered from my latest surgery. That was my go-to for a long time because I also couldn't sleep. So I would watch five episodes at, at 3 a.m. Wow. Um, but I figured out it was leaving me depressed. Every time I'd you be amused, but I'd end up depressed because he's so full of angst and he's so hollow. He's a sad, sad horse. <laughs> it's a horse is actually the character? Yes. Yeah, he's a, he, he's a talking a, horse? He's a, thurry, a thoroughly anthropomorphized fized horse. It's a less happy Mr. His, Ed? Is, yeah, oh, he's incredibly conflicted. His best friend is a simpleton dog who also walks on four legs. And, but the, the Could disturbing, kids watch this or not? No. No, 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 no. They'd be A, confused, and B, traumatized. Um, the weird thing is they, they marry and date both humans and animals. So there's bestiality. Yes, yes. I mean... At one point, Bojack is dating an owl, and all the animals are conveniently about the same size. That helps. So the owls are gigantic. Horse-sized ducks or duck-sized horses? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and his best friend, the simpleton dog, um, what's the dog's name again? Mr. Peanut Butter. I believe that's right, yeah. Mr. Peanut Butter. Oh, jeez. Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> no, it's not for the kids. Dates a hot uh, Vietnamese-American chick. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, two seed Fleabag uh, from the show Fleabag, great show, but 
this seems like a, a real slight from the, the seating committee, a 15 seed, Eric Cartman from the show South Park. <laughs> oh, please. I, I feel like this is an upset no. waiting to happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know the other show, but Cartman is certainly one of the great TV characters. Cartman absolutely. had a lot of injuries. He lost his conference championship. He was an at-large bid. Some payment scandals, I think, maybe hurt him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. <laughs> exactly. He was taking all of his recruits to the strip club, even those that didn't want to go. Yeah, we'll skip right, over that one. That all right, give boring. us one more good one. All right, uh, let's go with um, uh, Baby Yoda's. Uh, I don't know who that Baby Yoda's going against, so Baby Yoda wins that one. Um, uh, uh, I'm looking for one where you guys would both know the uh, the characters here. Oh, here we go. Uh, Dwight Schrute of The Office oh. and Janet of The Good Place. I don't know The Good Place. Sorry. The Good Place, is, uh, I would say that's my number one recommendation for comedies of the past decade. Really? I think The Good Place what? is awesome. Yeah. I watched uh, all the episodes that were available to me probably within about a week or so. It's won a ton of awards. Yeah, too. it's really good, and it is... Uh, TV is so freaking good now. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. Hey, Sean, before we... Well, who's your winner on that one? Let's wrap that up. Uh, Dwight Schrute. Dwight is uh, okay. an amazing character. Have you done a post at armstrongandgetty.com, Sean's top ten picks for binge-worthy TV? No, I could do, do that. Do it. You gotta yeah, do that'd it. That'd be great. I mean, because you, no. you say all this stuff, and I think, wow, cool, I gotta remember that. And then ten minutes later, forget it. Yeah, all right. Then. I think two weeks ago on my, uh, on my One More Thing podcast on Friday, I did a, a brief version of that but i could go a little bit more in depth too and actually just write it out and well or yeah it, yeah uh, and it doesn't have to be in depth a list of 10 yeah, with just a list two of sentences each yeah. you won't believe what uh, number seven is uh, <laughs> really <laughs> yeah, yeah i wonder what it is armstrong and getty you're listening to the best of the armstrong and getty show armstrong and getty this is the best of armstrong and getty well speaking of eating <clears throat> this is going to take a unanimous vote, or maybe not. I don't know. No, let's go with the majority, the American way. I got that uh, video from a Chinese wet market of a guy purchasing a frog. I suggest we watch it, and those oh, of you boy. who have not seen it, commentate on it live. Oh, boy. Um, uh-huh. This is this is a guy eating a live frog. This is a guy purchasing one, and I, supp- I guess at some point... now. I, it- I might have lied to you guys. Maybe he just takes it home and, and keeps it as a beloved pet. I don't know. Puts it in a bowl with a stick. That's not way you, the way you described it earlier. So the question I is, really, a lot. do I want to watch this? This is a disgusting video. <laughs> See, the total time is about 50 seconds. I tend not to watch things like because I'm not a believer that I got to like see all these various experiences <laughs> to like live a, a fulfilled life. Oh, this has nothing to do with fulfillment, Jack. <laughs> I hear that. On the other hand, it is a fascinating glimpse into another culture and an important culture in uh, current geopolitics. Okay, how 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 much do they zoom in on the the uh, the eating of the frog? You familiar with the phrase "leaves nothing to the imagination"? Oh. I'll tell you. I, I assume we're going to roll the video whether I like it or not. So I'll watch. I, I'm more interested in the guy's demeanor. I'm going to try to not see. I'm going to put my hand up to the screen, oh, like geez. my son does with scary movies, where he kind of like blocks out the. Or like when people kiss. I remember doing that when I was. <laughs> oh That's my funny. gosh! Both my kids do that. That's disgusting. Both my kids do that. If somebody kisses me, oh, they put their hand up so they don't have to see it. That's hilarious. So, uh, P.S., are you going to watch? I'm looking. B- both eyes wide open? I'm good with man. you. Give, give, give me a little play-by-play here, Sean. You're, right. you're, you're good at that. Here it goes. Just All like right. Mama's Milk. Oh, wait. Yeah. Hold on. 
So That's he, a big frog. Oh, my gosh. So this is the customer doing it. Is he tasting? Is, is this like trying the grapes before you buy it? <laughs> what, is, what is he doing, Sean? I'm not he, looking. So, he, so it's not even like a decapitation of it. He's more just kind of opening it up like a Ziploc bag and just uh, consuming the insides. Did you pay for wow. that, sir? Yeah, but how? No, he gets the thumbs up from the proprietor. It's cool. He's going to give her his, his credit card in a minute. Uh, yeah, yeah, he'll Apple pay for but that in a, in a opens moment. Opens it up like a Ziploc bag. You're supposed to do play so, by play. So he bit into, starting at the head, he bit into it and then just kind of peeled back. It didn't seem like the back of the neck wanted to let go. Well, this frog is like the size of our pug dog. I mean, this is an enormous frog. I mean, yeah, it's a BFF. And from the looks, I don't know if this person worked oh, at Joe gross. Exotic's Tiger Farm, but it seems to be missing a, a, a limb of sorts. Yeah, can you imagine if he was a two-armed guy? The hijinks he'd be involved in? One-armed guy turns a big, giant bullfrog upside down, puts the head in his mouth, then, like, bites down and pulls back and, and peels the thing like a damn mango. That's it's gross. A sick enough. That is gross. Yeah, it's much then, more like peeling a fruit than eating meat. It's that's yeah. bizarre. Then he eats its his heart or something, right? Well, that's where it that's where you something. get the longevity from, right? Clearly, and better boners, I'm sure. Yeah, do we do any research on that? Is he eating the heart out? He's got blood on his chin. Oh Jeez. my gosh! He eat the heart out of the frog because it gives you a better erection or some bull that they believe in China. I don't know. It might just be a protein, but you never know. The fact that uh, the whole bullshit. you're not even wearing gloves, sir. <laughs> I'm going to say the word again. The fact that the whole bull it's racist to point this out thing stops it from happening really bothers me. A lot of these Asian countries abuse animals constantly and are wiping them from the face of the planet for bull stupid backward reasons that if it were if it were Southern Americans, oh, my God, they'd get killed for that in uh, in in, you know, in our in our media. Imagine if Southerners, for some reason, were wiping out a beautiful species of animal because they thought they got better erections from eating their hearts or something. Right. Imagine the way they'd be treated in the media. But no, 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 because it's because it's Asian people. Uh, it's, it's sort of part of a beautiful culture or something, or I'm afraid of being uh, a racist we or to something. judge it? Yeah, it's because it's just crazy backward, like you're living in the year 400 kind of thinking. Bill right, Maher then, made that point uh, during his show last week. He said liberalism lost its way when when they started making the argument that forcing women to wear hijabs was just another way to look at life. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or genital human... mutilation or yes, whatever. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, who are we to criticize that culture? That that aspect of those cultures is horrible. It's unforgivable. And and chewing a head off half cooked bats has launched a pandemic that'll kill hundreds of thousands. Who knows how many people? Yeah, you ought to judge the hell out of it. So looking at this video, which we have at armstrongandyeti.com, I don't, I don't know if you want to watch it, but um, uh, I was expecting the whole wet market thing to be more, I guess because I was at a pretty sketchy market in Mexico City, and it was like under an overpass, and it was dirt floors and stuff like that. You were that. expecting like more back alley. Yeah, yeah. I spe- yeah. And it looks like a Walmart. Oh, yeah, it, it looks like a grocery store, with, but instead of reaching in for a, a, a handful of, of raw almonds... <laughs> Like he just pulls a bullfrog out and just goes to town on it. A bullfrog right. the well, size of a, a small dog. It's a live eaten animal market. You know, live or recently alive. That's that's the whole point, man. They snuff it right in front of you. I get the sense from the way he's looking around and people are looking at him that while it's not like 
psychopath, oh my god behavior. It's it's on the edge of behavior even for that crowd, it looked they like. They didn't put a call into security. No, 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 no it's not, not super crazy, but not just everybody, I'm thinking. It's has, like if you go to a carry-out-only pizza place and you stand there in the lobby eating. They're a little, uh, you know, off-put, but This guy has right. blood all over his chin from a live beast. Oh. Yikes, it's disgusting. So you want... These are the people who want to take over the globe. I'll tell you unless what. we stand vigilant <laughs> against them. Yeah, hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, I didn't. Armstrong oh, and Getty. Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Information. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Featuring our podcast, One More Thing. Available everywhere. Get more info at armstrongandgetty.com. We've talked about this on and off in various ways for years, and that is the veal Caffey playgrounds of the modern era. Mm-hmm. And how um, the, uh, the, the schools and parks of America have tried to craft these playgrounds where there's absolutely no risk, there's no adventure, there's no danger whatsoever, no child could ever be uh, hurt. Also and, no fun. <clears throat> exactly. And, and no learning to assess risk and learning to exercise caution in a situation with greater risk, which is one of the most important things the uh, juvenile human animal learns. That's the point of childhood and, and growing up is you learn to assess and adjust to risk. Um, but we've denied kids that. And and interestingly enough, as we've discussed, uh, I guess it was probably a few months ago before the whole COVID thing obliterated every other conversation in America, we were talking about how risky playgrounds were making a, a comeback because all the child psychologists had said what was incredibly obvious to every you know sane human is that this is, it's not good for kids to never let them have adventures. Well, we got this note from Sam, an email. He's been involved in parks and recreation, not the show, but the actual, uh, you know, parks and recreation for 50 years. It's a long time. Yeah. And I just, I want to read you some of his note, but he says, I can safely say you guys are correct as to eliminating fun and adventure from children's playgrounds. But then he points out that it all goes back to a UC Davis professor. Awesome. Nationwide. The, the, the nationwide trend of Veal Caffey playgrounds. He's, he's no longer with Before you even go us. any further, this, this, right. this shocks me not. The entire don't eat fat but eat sugar thing came out of like ass study in the late 60s. And mm-hmm. we did that forever. I believe the don't give your kids real mom breast milk, but this is like out of a one bogus study. Right. Um, and then the eliminate straws from America was not only from one study, but it was from a study from a nine-year-old's poor, poorly researched paper. <laughs> and we, we changed the way the world of, uh, handles straws. So this sort of thing happens all the time. So I went into this ready to demonize UC Davis professor Seymour Gold, who's no longer here uh, to defend himself, which is frankly convenient. Um, I went in ready to demonize him. Then I read some of his stuff, and I thought, you know what? I can't demonize him. But then I read the note from Sam and got back to wanting to demonize him. So here you go. This Seymour Gold chap, a supposed expert in playground safety... In 1981, 
he was asked to take a look at this topic because of a couple of court cases that said towns and schools and whatever could be held liable if your kid falls off the monkey bars. Okay, well, you can't blame somebody for looking into that if that becomes the reality. Right, this jackass, stupid, America-ruining court case at the dawn of the excessive uh, lawsuit liability culture that we have now. Wow, so that's interesting. So we now know the date. It was 1981 when all this crap started. The idea that if your kid fell at the park at school, somehow the school was going to have to pay for it. 1981. Well, it's it's good to know. So this UC Davis professor, Seymour Gold, and this is where I stopped demonizing him briefly in my mind. He uh, wrote the guidelines and did all sorts of studies and and the rest of it, and then was the expert in advising uh, anybody who had a playground how to avoid or, or limit their liability, how to reduce it, right? So I thought, okay, he was just responding to a need. No, then he made his fortune, or he made a fair amount of money, as an expert witness for people who were suing public agencies and playground manufacturers. At the same time, he was working as a professor and bringing in extra income from various lawsuits as an expert, dipping into the taxpayers twice. Wow. Yeah. So he wrote, wow, that's something. Yeah. So, uh, again, at, at the beginning of it, he was responding to an utterly angering need, but a legitimate need, but then went on as the leading expert in the world to uh, make sure your your town, your your city, your school got good and screwed every time a kid fell. Well, yeah. It's kind of exciting that the very park that my kid plays at might be across the street from that dude's old house. Dude, I'll bet he designed it. I'll bet he was a key person in either designing it literally or he passed on, I think, in the early 2000s. Um, but his principles are 100% behind all the playgrounds you see uh, in America these days. And it was all over. Uh, that's right. This is the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you to brace yourselves. The co-host is about to say a naughty, naughty word. It was all over f-ing liability. And lawsuits and, and people making profit off of claiming that something bad should never happen. And if anything bad ever does happen, somebody needs to write somebody else a check. How which did, is such a perversion of, of, of humans relating to each other. How was there not some sort of government intervention at the time? Somebody, you know, you, a quick writing of legis, legislation that says you can't hold schools liable for this or it will, it will lead to what it obviously led to. Right, because any I'm, any normal grown up would say, if if you're going to make the schools responsible for anybody getting hurt on the playgrounds, then we're not going to be able to have playgrounds. Well, the reason is because of the way democracy actually works. It's not the popular will; it's who has lots of money and powerful lobbyists and kids having fun and kids learning to assess risk and deal with it. Uh, didn't have powerful lobbyists. I mean, at the same time, 1981. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It doesn't matter. Um, I mean, Congress granted Major League Baseball an antitrust exemption for many, many decades. But Congress couldn't step up and say, hey, look, it's important for kids to be able to climb and take risks. And once in a while, a kid is going to fall and break an arm. And once in a just it's practically infinitesimal, a child might die if they don't assess the risk carefully and they fall and, and hit their head. It almost never, ever happens. 
Um, but Congress couldn't step up and do that at the time. Why can't Either they, they do didn't it now? See it coming or, why know. can't it happen now? Why can't we write? Why can't we write legislation that says when people get hurt on the playground equipment at the park, it's not the school's fault? I don't think the American Bar Association would ever let it happen because there's so many ambulance chasers that pay dues that. I mean, that's their living. Hmm, I'd like to hear a smart lawyer tell us that. If you're listening to this podcast, email us or whatever. I'd like to hear the explanation for why that doesn't happen now. i got to believe you'd get majority support, just like if you put it to a poll in the country and explained it properly. Right. Some sort of blanket hold harmless for municipal playgrounds. Yeah, email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. It could be because there's no town that's going to put in like a wood chipper for the kids to play with and like a running chainsaw and that sort of stuff. I mean... Come on, or javelins. They'll just have a rack of javelins out there at the city park. Instead of having a sandbox, we thought we'd have a box full of shards of glass. (laughs) Exactly. It's not going to happen. Kids, pull the pin on the grenade. Then you see this uh, lever thing. It's very important. You you don't careful, Johnny. You have eight seconds. Eight, but not nine. Right. Don't count too slow. How many of you know how to count to eight? All of you. That's great. Let's do it together now, shall we? One, two. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. My son's school, if it rains, they can't play in the playground the next day because the grass might still be wet enough that somebody could fall and twist an ankle. And really? The, yeah. It might be across the street from that guy's house. So as a well kid, we used to play in the mud. We used to of love that course. stuff. Of course you did. Do they never water the grass? We took sleds on the school bus to school and, and, and went down the hill. It was a sheet of ice, and I can't. It had to be thirty miles an hour. And now the kids can't run on wet grass. Now you can't they run on wet grass. And there, I'm sure. Speaking of academics, there is a learned study somewhere about the the uh, the stages civilizations go through, and they probably describe the uh, overly cautious, litigious, you know. S- a uh, stage of a mature society. God, if there's one, if I if I could do something with my life, it would be. You know, fight this and change it in my lifetime. I, you know, I'm not I'm not the right kind of guy because <laughs> I don't like paperwork. I don't like lawyers. I don't like slow moving anything. I don't like meetings. But God, I I could march for this sort of thing. Yeah, it would be 25 years of banging your head yeah. against this in meetings and meeting yep. with politicians and right. Yeah, but uh, very yeah, slow growing movement, which is the way democracies work. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. With very powerful, rich forces against you. Well, and it's so insidious, too. If you think about human development, what we're doing to our kids, turning them into terrified veal calves who never take and learn how to deal with risk. And it's the helicopter parent, the snowplow parent thing. It's just, it's all of a piece. Although, what's insidious about it is the lawsuit thing's just greed. It's a little bit of do-gooderism and a lot of greed. Whereas the whole overly cautious society thing, I think, is is less about greed. Uh, or, or, well, I don't know. Maybe it is because once you have a certain number of lawsuits, I mean, we've yelled and railed about school administrators being so friggin' paranoid, but then realized, well, there ain't going to be a little a school for Johnny to go to if they get their ass sued. Right. So um, I don't know. I, I, these stories always make me so sad because uh, long run, a country that behaves this way does not stay the strongest, most prosperous, most vibrant culture on the earth. It Mm -hmm. just does not over time. Well, I would suggest to you, and this may be a little of a stretch, but not much. What do you think happens if you fall off the playground in all all these other up-and-coming countries around the world? You dust yourself off and go on about your business. 
You say be well, careful next time. I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that the person who, who who climbs on the monkey bars and takes risks and learns to assess them and and maybe rides their bike a little too fast and wipes out a couple of times, there are 100 examples, careens down the hill, the icy hill on a sled, those are the people who start businesses because they understand risk and they're not afraid of it. Those are the entrepreneurs, the well, literally the risk takers in society because there is no profit without risk. And I'm afraid we're just crushing that. But I don't know. I do know, actually. I don't know exactly what to do about it. Dig up this uh, UC Davis guy and, well, never mind. More 30-foot high, high monkey bars over asphalt. Greased. Somebody oh. greases them every morning. <laughs> and I got to reconsider that wood chipper idea. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> you, you famously hate modern art, yes, and I you're do. reading a thousand-page book on Andy Warhol? Well, I'm what? sure I won't read the whole thousand pages, but... Uh, yeah, I do famously hate modern art, and I, do, I think it's stupid, and I still, I've done more research on it, and I'm, con- I'm convinced I'm right. It is stupid. Um... But the whole Andy Warhol commentary on uh, fame and materialism, I find just freaking fascinating. Oh, okay. Now you got me. Freaking now fascinating. He, he, may, he may have actually been... A, he was either one of the great geniuses of all time or a complete fraud, and there's like almost no in-between. It's just one but, or the other. Although there have been frauds who were geniuses, because once they got an opening, they exploited it ingeniously. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So maybe as an artist, he was a fraud, but as a making himself a worldwide celebrity, he was authentic as hell. I'm a little with art the way I am with philosophy. Like I can get into it and I think, okay, I'm starting to grasp it. And then ah, I lost it. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I lost the thread of it. Or the next day, I, I get really into it and it's deep. And I think, oh, I've really learned something here. And then the next day, I can't remember what it was that I learned. But like when, when he showed up with his... Uh, his soup cans and his Brillo boxes that he's famous for. It was a commentary on the abstract art preceding it. To So to a certain extent, perhaps, because nobody knows, to a certain extent, he might have been saying modern art was crap. Okay, mm. if that's art, this is art. Who's going to say what's art and what's not? I mean, well, that was, was like part that, of what he was doing. That pee your pants challenge thing we were talking about. The guy's point, I think, was how stupid are people? I'll bet they'll do this. And he was right. I've, I've just been scrolling through his quotes here, and, uh, you know, he's got some things that are ridiculous. People should fall in love with their eyes closed. Okay, thanks, Andy. But I thought this was interesting. Being good in business is the most fascinating kind of art. Making money is art, and working is art, and good business is the best art. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, super, super deep and interesting. I've uh, always hated his haircut, so I really couldn't get into almost his art. En- almost entirely wigs. He went bald in his 20s. Huh. Had terrible skin, so he's a very unattractive dude. Right. Um, and that that's part of what drove him in in uh, in a bunch of different weird ways. But yeah, wow. You know, there's and he was a super genius. He went to he went to college when he was seventeen, got a job on um, in New York right off the bat doing commercial art for a bunch of companies, and and got rich doing that. And that's what wow. funded him getting into you know doing his own thing. I'll be damned. See, you know, it's funny. I'd always gotten this. You know, this one-sided impression of the guy. You know, the cliched Andy Warhol, you know, story. 
And I, I didn't know some of those things. And the fact that he was an unattractive little smart guy who probably was a complete misfit in oh, yeah. a lot of ways, um, uh, that's, that's the sort of person I root for a lot, partly because, uh, you know, at least one or two of my kids' answers to that description. But, but then his, when, you know, when he gets into his commentary on celebrity and, 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 and fame and what is art and what is not and commercialism and our, and, and, you know, at a time when we had really post war, he was born in 28. So he, you know, he lived through commercialism really coming to age and people being so concerned about stuff and brands in a way that nobody really ever had in human history. Certainly not the middle class had in, in human mm-hmm. history. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's some really, really deep stuff. You want some really trivial Andy Warhol trivia? John wrote us an email when we were talking about it during the radio show. I uh, read somewhere that on the day that Babe Ruth hit his last home run, I believe it was at Pittsburgh, Andy Warhol and his older brother were in the right field seats, and his brother ended up with the home run ball. Wow. Is that true? Little Johnny Warhol. I don't know. <laughs> um, nobody, I don't know if it's true. John claims it is, and it's an odd lie. <laughs> So he comes up with this art that, you know, is what, how is this art? You got stuff from a grocery store. How is this art? But it's a commentary on art, and it blew people's minds. Well, so then it became, then celebrities got into it. And whether, so at that point, whether it's real or not, now you're into the Kardashian thing, right? Now you're just famous for being famous, and you're hanging around famous people. Once Bob Dylan and Mick Jagger come to your studio and hang out with you, then everybody else wants to hang out with you, and they want to hang out with you because and it just it just spirals. Right. There's almost no stopping it at that point. Yeah, yeah. Really, and then the most interesting nugget of all that I think I've come out of this is he's a practicing Catholic who went to mass three times a week. Wow, wow. How do you mix that into everything? Which really, wonder, which which leads me to believe, um, because he gave different answers every interview he ever he ever gave. So knowing what he actually believed is difficult. The fact that he went to Mass three times a week and was a practicing Catholic makes me think he did have a negative view of commercialism and celebrity and that sort of right. stuff. That'd be my guess. Well, I was going to say, I'm, I'm absolutely intrigued by the question of how he felt about what he had created. Because he doesn't sound like the sort of guy who thrives on the shallow trendy approval of people he doesn't even know well and so he got a bump from europe in sort of the way that uh you know the anti-trump craze if if it hurts trump we like it so him becoming popular europe thought he was criticizing america so he Ah. became just the darling of europe and just was so celebrated there and he could go there and just be treated like a king and meet all the most important people and all the biggest celebrities and everything like that. But it's not certainly true or necessarily true that he was criticizing America. Mm. Who knows? But they thought he was, so that's good enough for us. He's anti-America, so he's got to be somebody we like here in Europe. But he might have been just the quote um, uh, Sean was reading, just celebrating, look what we've done in America, creating these businesses and, and mass-produced food for, for people and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like you with art and philosophy. There's, okay, so it was actually a commentary on, but not to, to criticize, but a, it was actually praising to, I don't know. And if you think this is all a bunch of crap and stupid and meaningless, that may have been his point. <laughs> ah, <laughs> which been, is that? His, Somebody needs to tell me what I'm supposed to think about art. His entire point might have been this whole art thing is stupid. <laughs> 
people paying for it and then becoming a celebrity for it. It's just dumb. Well, so again, it was the 19, you know, whatever, 55 to 75 version of, I'll bet if I peed my pants, people would click on this. Yeah, sort of. Or it wasn't. I don't know. And he's not telling you. Mm. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty show. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 